Welcome to the next, where we talk about pop culture until we can't stand it anymore, and we nix it. I am Justin Hartung. And I'm Fanny Darling. As always, a quick warning that there might be spoilers for anything we talk about on this podcast, but we always try our best to let you know that they are coming. This week, we're talking about scary stories to tell in the dark. Ooh, scary! And the third seasons of Handmaid's Tale and Glow. Okay, we want to start this week, as every week, with pop culture this week. What'd you do, Fanny? Um, I read some books, and also I'm back to school this week. Well, I've been back to school, but my students and my teachers came back, so I've been a little crazed, so I haven't done a lot else except reality TV. We're not talking about that. Uh, so I read The Turn of the Key by Ruth Ware. Ruth Ware is a British kind of psychological thriller. She kind of turns them out once a year. They're sort of a beach read. This one is an updated turn of the screw uh, set in the Scottish Highlands, this big, beautiful house that's been turned into a smart house, which is sort of spooky. And is there a ghost? Is there not a ghost? Some kid dies. So it's very blatantly referencing it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. It's a governess. There's a dead kid. It's told through, instead of a a tale that's being read, it's told through letters to uh, a solicitor. Okay. It's very much referencing Turn of the Screw. Um, It's fine. Um, It's build-up is better than its payoff. I I haven't read anything else by Ruth Ware, but I think this is very typical for what I've read from reviews of her. You won't hate yourself for having read it, but I won't won't say that you'll feel like you've learned anything. I gotta say is that if you're gonna do a turn of the screw ripoff and you just call it turn of the key, yeah, it's I'm a little like what like you a jail. Do a more of that. I mean, it it pulled that they yeah. reference it, they pull it in at the end, they okay. try and land the plane, but it's it's a fine book. I'm also reading and have almost finished All of This is True by Lija de Penaflor. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Lija is how you would pronounce that if if she's Irish, but I don't know if she's Irish. Um, this is one of those that's told through, like, transcripts of video interviews and you know, articles and other books. And it's supposed to be this whole... There's all diff- these different versions of the truth here, and you figure out what happened novels. I'm not sure it's super successful. So, and I'm becoming a little stale on that presentation of absolutely no narration, no first person or third person. It's all told from these like scraps of newspapers, or I'm getting a little stale on that. I think I got a nix for you there, because I... Should we jump into my pop culture? Sure, let's do it, because Because I think this is a theme. We should do this. Um, I just read a book called The Ghost Notebooks, uh, which is... Uh, something that showed up on a few of the best of horror novels of last year. I'm totally forgetting the author. I will tweet that later. Um, good setup. Uh, a lot of uh, correspondence and letters. Also, I started reading Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Um, and, yeah, I've been reading books. That's the crazy spoiler here. Um, but there are... Yeah, I'm getting tired of this, too. And I don't want to do a hard nix because I think used sparingly and in the right. right format, it's a good thing. But... 
can people just write a book? Just right. kind of just tell us the story, get us in the heads of the characters. I, I know we're all into sort of postmodernism and uh, everybody's got their own version of truth, but I don't need to read 30 emails. No, especially in novels. this, all of this is true. It's told in such a way, at least in The Turn of the Key, the letters felt very narrative. Like she was, te- it was one letter that she was writing to a solicitor. So it was basically like a first person narration. And so you f- sort of forgot that she was writing the letters in all of this is true. It jumps every five or 10 pages, minutes, whatever. And you can tell that the person, when they wrote it was like, Oh, this could turn into an interesting audiobook. I'm listening to it on an audiobook. It doesn't make an interesting audiobook. It's just not that successful. And none of the variations, each story really feels the same. And it's like, okay, so one person's telling it and they're mad about the events. And one person's telling it and they're defensive about the events. And then one's slightly fictionalized so the names are different. It's just, it, unlike The Affair, which is a show I'm not really fond of, but at least... When they tell the two different points of view, there are some significant differences and it has something to say about what is our truth and how do you view through your own eyes what, what's happening and when you retell something, what is the filter that you use? This doesn't even feel like that. It's just different tones. Yeah, if you're going to do Rashomon, like, do Rashomon. Right. So books were my only pop culture. You agree with me on one book. What else did you read or do? Uh, I want to say a little more about the ghost notebooks. Uh, It is a story about uh, a a guy and a a woman who moved to uh, upstate New York. They're sort of fed up with New York City. They're a young couple that are, of course, having... Uh, you know, all sorts of marital, should we have kids issues that are kind of the stock and trade of these sort of books. Um, It's very well written. I enjoyed the heck out of the setup of it. Uh, It's a really, the guy's got a very good voice on sort of that style of things. The ghost part of it, it's called the ghost notebooks. I expected some good ghosting, not so ghosty and it just it didn't land any kind of uh, ghosty plane, I guess we'll say. <laughs> it, uh, it was very just sort of straightforward, didn't really go anywhere. Sort of, again, turn of the screw. Like It's very influential apparently right now, the madness of whether you think something is haunting you or whether you're just suffering from some sort of mental illness. Or <laughs> If you ain't Shirley Jackson, yeah. leave it alone. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that people are reading those and, and riffing off that, but it's a hard... Thing to pull off. I'd much sometimes much rather just have a good ghost story yeah. with some creepy dead children. Yep. Just know that they're ghost children chasing somebody. I don't want to worry about whether it's real or not. Yeah, come on, John Saul. Yeah. <laughs> um, other than that, uh, we were up in Tahoe with some friends, and I finally watched Always Be My Maybe. Yay! Um, that is a great romantic comedy. I am here from uh, six months ago to uh, tell everybody they were right. Uh, Mostly me. Mostly yeah. I was right. Yeah. It's a, uh, wow, this is a great, fun movie. It's very funny. Um, I'm a little obsessed with Ali Wong. I'm a little obsessed with, um, what's that Randall guy's name? Park. Randall Park. He's so hot and fun. Um, Keanu Reeves is great in it, as everybody said a million times. Uh, if you are a person who does not, li- does not like romantic comedies, uh, that would be me. Uh, give this a shot. It's actually really funny. It made me laugh out loud many times, and it's very sweet. And, of course, it is a uh, romantic comedy with Asian leads that you don't see very often, but it's also not Crazy X 
crazy, crazy, ex, crazy rich Asians. It's like you can enjoy this without any guilt about weird materialism yeah. or anything. It's very yes, funny. So um, I really liked it. I'm very surprised how much I liked it. Um, I highly recommend it. Uh, Jackie Brown, the Tarantino movie, uh, which has been getting a lot of in light of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which go back and listen to our review of that last week. We did, were not big fans of it, but I've been reading a lot of uh, Tarantino lists about the best and whatever, and uh, a lot of people have sort of come around to Jackie Brown being one of his best movies. I think I saw this movie in the 90s, but I really don't remember. I certainly did not remember a lot of it when we watched it again. It's fine. <laughs> I don't think it's as good Starring as anybody's. Bridget Fonda's feet. Bridget Fonda is surprisingly fun in this movie, I will say. I think she's great. She has a terrible end. I don't want to go into spoilers, but it's it's one of those things where you're like, oh, she's great in this. Why wasn't... Oh, right. Tarantino does the Tarantino thing to her. And no wonder she didn't want to act very much after this. Pam Greer is great. Uh, Robert De Niro, I have to say, is one of the last De Niro performances that I remember him being really Hot. good in well just good to no, that tarantino thing he's so good um robert forster is fantastic in it uh, shout out to our friend ricky who was very smitten by robert forster during Aww. jackie brown it was very cute I and mean, he kept obsessing he was summer like child uh, he was like i love he's so hot and i'm like ricky uh what's going on there with your weird robert forster daddy fixation but i guess you know if you gotta have I went one to bed before that I, damn it i know we watched the, the second <laughs> half of the next night um what else Hey, it's fine. It's, you know, an Elmore, El, El, I cannot say his name, Elmore Leonard mm-hmm. novel. It's, there's not much that happens in it. It's That's Elmore of, Leonard. Yeah. He's very dialogue driven, not a lot of plot. Yeah. The plot sort of fizzles out, which is sort of how I felt about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I, it's not surprising to me that people that love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood also love this movie because it's sort of actors and atmosphere. But that's if I'm going to go to Tarantino, that's definitely not what I'm going to go for. I want like crispness, and I want plots and twists and craziness. Um, so, anyways, Jackie Brown, it's okay. Hot, <laughs> hot take, um, Jackie Brown, it didn't suck. <laughs> I have some uh, music stuff I want to talk about. I couple things I've talked about before on the podcast. Slater Kinney, one of my favorite bands ever. Their album, The Center Won't Hold, finally came out. It is really divisive. The music community is tearing itself in two about whether this is a uh, brave new direction or a total kind of shit show. I land somewhere in the middle. I applaud them for always trying to do new things. It is very much a weird collection of pop and punk oddities just sort of thrown together. It does not feel cohesive. The drummer left. Uh, Janet Weiss, I think I talked about that before. Um, she was basically said, I'm upset that this band is going in a new... She didn't say I'm upset. She just said, the band is going in a new direction. It's time for me to move on. Hearing the album now, I really understand what she meant. It's just not the Slater Kinney that I go to. It feels very overthought, overwrought. It is very much a Carrie Brownstein forward project. Um, and I think it suffers a little bit from that. I find Carrie Brownstein to be really great as a seasoning or a kind of backup. I don't think she's necessarily a front person. She's uh, a cilantro. Yeah. She's an amazing guitarist um, and a very funny person. But I just, she's very, she sings most of the lead vocals on this album. The yeah, they're very much her songs, and it's just not... I liked that balance, and it's missing, so 
it's disappointing, but I will say that this band can never make a boring album or even a bad album. So I appreciate them for kind of trying new things, and I will have to sit with this album a little more from a band that I love, but it is definitely uh, not my favorite of their albums. Um, the Hold Steady is a band that has been around since, uh, I think, the early 2000s. Uh, they've made now, God seven albums something like that uh their first couple albums were fantastic they disappeared a little bit uh they had some band shakeups. uh craig finn the lead uh lyricist and singer uh basically did some great solo albums i probably even played some on this podcast uh they have a very strong springsteen kind of uh through line that people have always said but it's sort of the punky version of uh springsteen they return to this a bit more on this new album it's called thrashing through the passion it is uh, the most East Street kind of version of the whole city I've heard in a long time, which I really like, and I'm happy to have them back. Uh, so one band uh, that I love disappointing me a little bit and a band that I've not been that interested in has come back really strong. Let's take a listen to uh, Epaulettes from Thrashing Through the Passion by The Hold Steady. by the Hold Steady, Thrash Through the Passion. That is not the most Springsteen-y song on that album, but it's one that I like a lot. Um, there's some sax and some... There, you know, It reminds me a little of Springsteen Live when he's sort of bashing out those like long extended versions of the songs when the E Street Band is really tearing it up. It has a little of that feeling. And also it's highly narrative, highly character-driven. Um, other songs probably sort of tell that story a little better, but man, it's a good album. I really like it. And I'm happy to have them back. And and why did you ever start going to see Springsteen live? Moving on. Um, we've Damn said it. this many times. <laughs> I can only be contrived so many times. Uh, David Berman uh, of the Purple Mountains album that I played a few weeks ago, Mount, uh, Margarita's at the Mall, great song. Uh, and also the Silver Jews. He passed away uh, last week. He had killed himself apparently he's been battling depression and drug addiction for years and years and years um i mean there's no good news about the story but the one good thing i will say is that i think people are really recognizing his particular brand of genius and sort of looking at 
depression and the state of the world with a very uh, caustic eye and a sense of humor. Um, so it's I'm, we're sad to lose him. I just discovered it myself, really. I didn't think of sort of looked back at his career and thought, ah, how did I miss this guy's work? He's great. Uh, David Berman, Silver Jews, Purple Mountains are his two big projects. Uh, check it out. Go back and listen to our podcast a few weeks ago, which is crazy uh, to hear Margaritas at the Mall, a great song. Um, about having a good time when it's the end of the world. And a lot of people have been saying this album feels like a suicide note, which makes it a tough lesson. But um, yeah, uh, reach out to the people you love and give them a hug and say hi and listen to music and kind of try and write stuff down if you're feeling about it and share it with somebody. And I think it can only help. Yay! Do you want to talk about scary stories or yes. The Handmaid's Tale? Uh, God, let's start with <laughs> Handmaid's Tale, maybe. Sure, from depressing get, to more depressing. Right? Let's that just sounds go great. all the way down. <laughs> sure. Um, okay, Handmaid's Tale just wrapped up its third season. Um, I don't. We won't go into full. Sp- I mean, should we go into spoilers? I don't know. Okay, it dropped over a week ago. All right, we, we can are spoilers. talking the wrap ups. Okay, we are going to do Handmaid's can- Tale spoilers season three. If you have not seen it. Turn away now. I'm not even going to make a joke. No, I, give us yeah. two or three minutes. Check back in. Yep. Uh, yeah. All right. What did you think of Handmaid's Tale Season 3? I, as you know, started to get a little pissed um, up until the next, like the penultimate uh, episode. And even 45 minutes into the penultimate episode, I was like, yeah, I think I'm done here. Thanks. Then Christopher Maloney got killed drastic, dramatically. And they flipped the switch and arrested uh, Joseph Fine's character and I was back in again and then the final episode I thought did some interesting things I am not 100% sold that this season was great but I and as we know I can't quit the show anyway but I am interested to see where they're going to go in season 4 and I feel like at least in the last episode and a quarter they they set themselves up interestingly for season four what did you think um yeah I, I pretty much agree with you i think it was definitely not i remember last season i was a lot of people were down on it and i think you and i were both like i was up this on is it. tough in the right way yep. and this did start to wear me down a little bit of like yeah. Like, how can you carry this show on? And it's not even so much for me the torture point of it. It's just sort of the the plot logistics of it. Like, how can she... And this season, I think, really struggled with this. When Aunt Lydia is sort of believing her... Yeah, her plot armor has become unbelievable. It's become completely unbelievable. And and now, what do they do from here? That she's rescued all these kids. Like, how does this season realistically work? I was as, as, as I was cheering along with everybody when those kids were getting loaded on that yep. plane, man. And then when they got off and Luke yeah. and they were, you know, loading them all off and I was crying and I was happy and I was thankful and that was great. And it spurred the emotion. But yeah. how do they not kill her? I mean, I yeah. understand the fertility is a big thing. And in the book, that was even more clear of there are lots of ways to punish these women without killing them, and they still need their wombs. But they haven't really focused on that. Yeah. And that's, if they're not going to focus on that, then they don't, there's no way that they can show that they're not going to do something to her, or that they won't kill her. Yeah. Um, and yet they can't really have this show without her at this point. So I don't know what they're 
how they're going to go about this. And now um, that the Waterfords are in Canada and locked up, it's I, just like, I don't know. Like, the next season, I, I just... was happy to see Serena get arrested, I have to admit. Totally. I, I enjoyed that. I mean, as much as you cared about her, she did have a little bit of, oh, I'm just, you know. And yep. so to have it turn around and go, no, no, no. What you did? Fucked up. What yep. you did? Wrong. What you did? Rape. Guess what? See ya. Yeah. I I I liked Joel from Parenthood putting her in chains. I enjoyed it. So and I and I liked that the two of them turned on each other instantly. Yeah. You know, I thought that was very telling of those two people that would set up this type of society and then the second it got hard, they were like, Yeah, well you did this and you did that. I I liked that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how they keep it interesting. I'm yeah, next super... season's going to be... I kind of wish they'd just end it after right. next season. This I am very a... interested to read the uh, the Testaments. I really want to see where Atwood takes this. Which is going to be very separate, right? Yeah. It's yeah. going to be set in the future or something? It's 15 years after June steps on to the... She has the line about... She doesn't know. Nick's leading her out of the, the, the building where she may or may not be getting arrested. And she says, I don't know what my future is. And so I step up. So she's Whether still it's to a the real right or the dark. character? Yeah. That. Okay. And then the test and the testaments is 15 years after that. It, and I think it is still supposed to be told through the uh, cassettes that they have found like 100 years in the future. Okay. Um, so we'll see what happens. When does that I'm, come I'm out? super. It's September fifteenth. Okay, I'm very interested. I'm glad in I'm that. back into my book world because yes. I think I'll. Well, I haven't read the first one. Maybe that's my next project. Good God, man! I know. I know. Oh my God! I know. Yeah, no, you have to read okay. Handmaid's Tale before you read Testament. Okay. Uh, Testament's pre-ordered on my account. You know, we'll we'll get to it. But okay. do read. It's a quick read. It's not hard. It's really good. It's very compelling. Super simple language, and yet. Very. I've read other Margaret Atwood and I've loved it. I yeah, don't know no, why. I've never read this. So her yeah. stuff is so beautiful, and this is one of. I mean, it's it's a stunning novel. It is really good. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Um. So yeah, we're kind of still in. I, yeah. I can't quit this show for some reason. Yeah. I can't turn my back on it. I mean, her performance but... is still so good. Um. She's all right. I'm, I mean, it's not her fault that they keep focusing on the long fucking snarling at the cameras shit. Yeah. I'm over that. Yeah. Her performance is good. What they are focusing on, yeah. I keep having issues with. A lot of the Bradley Whitford stuff, too. I just thought none of that really worked or landed. This Did was definitely care. the weakest scene. Yeah. I had the weakest season with a yeah. lot of the sort of subplots. And, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, all right. Should we talk about scary stories to tell in the dark? Speaking of novels, yeah, scary, that's true. I'm Lots not of sure adaptations. That's our theme. <laughs> yeah, um, they're all adaptations this week between Glow Handmaids and this. that's true. Um, so yeah, this is obviously based on a series by Shorts, is the author's last yeah. name. Um, I, do, so did you have connections to these books as a kid? I read them. Yeah, but we. My mom and I had this one book that was like 13 dark tales and it had like cats on the cover that we read and we loved. And so we went and bought scary stories to tell in the dark afterwards and they were like too scary. And like there was one about a ribbon where the person's head fell off or something. And I was like, no, hey, I'm out. So we didn't get super into this, these ones. Um, But I was aware of them. What about you? Um, I definitely seeing the movie 
was like, oh, right. I remember reading some of these. Um, and I remember that they were scary and they burned into my brain, but they're short and poorly written. Right. Um, they're very, like, sketches of stories. They're all very short. There's no development. I mean, I think at the time I was like, I'd rather just read a Stephen King book. Um, and I think the movie does a fairly good job of sort of building that into a narrative of like, oh, we're going to get you these moments, but there's still going to be at least a somewhat interesting narrative and a plot. Um, Yeah, the the plot for people that don't know is uh, this is set in the 60s um, with sort of Nixon times and Vietnam War as a backdrop, uh, oddly, because the kids never feel very 60s and the storyline never feels very 60s in a way. Um, But yeah, there's this basically this character, this little girl um, finds a, well, Basically, this teenage girl finds a book written by this girl who had written these scary stories and was somewhat abused or something. I didn't, Very abused, yeah. yeah. I didn't put all that together. I missed yeah. some of this stuff. Um, but she... Uh, Her... She had... Uh, spoilers too spoilers. much? Spoilers. I mean, I don't know. Her family had decided that she... Their story to the world was that she wasn't right in the head. So they... Locked her in the house and then later in an asylum. And so she wrote these stories and the legend was that if you walked up to the house, she would tell kids these stories through the walls and those kid would, kids would die. That's as best without spoilers as yeah. I can go into. And this, the movie doesn't do a great job of like out. There's definitely a lot of... Uh... It's a little patchy the way the whole thing kind of comes together. That said, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I think it was scary as hell. Um, I mean, I really was, it was uncomfortably scary at moments. And I thought these poor seven year old kids, like it's not hereditary, but it's not, uh, I don't know, not a house of the clock in its walls either. It was, um, yeah, I, there were moments that were were very unsettling and there were stakes. Um, the, the cast is sort of appealing. Um, the look of it is great. It. It's worth watching. I don't think it's. I think it's a rental, probably. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's fun. the The performances are fine. The script is fine. It is a fun hour and a half to watch without teenagers. Don't don't go to a, a movie theater full of teenagers who have teenage energy and watch this and movie. Phones and phones and yeah. It, <laughs> It's fun to watch. I recommend watching it. I just don't know that I recommend going to the movies to see it. Yeah. It's uh, I'm going to forget about it in a week. Yes, exactly. I mean, maybe a day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think we have always have to say about that. Are you excited? To, there's a sequel set well, up. Well, of course there is. Yeah. I mean, I'll go see it. I guess I will. I we know. have AMC A-list. It's an AMC A-list movie. <laughs> we will um, go see anything. All right, so should we talk about Glow Season 3? Yes, we should. Uh, why don't you tell us about Glow okay, Season 3? Okay, so uh, Glow is on Netflix. Uh, it's a comedy about the glamorous ladies of wrestling, and it's come back for its third season. They've moved to Las Vegas now, uh, where the large ensemble cast deal with everything from homophobia to parental anxiety to male gigolos and Elizabeth Ber- Perkins' terrifying matriarch, Birdie. What'd you think, Justin? So this show, I the first two seasons, I think we've talked about on the podcast. I liked it. I thought it was a great cast. I thought it looked great. It captured 80s nostalgia. I still never really latched onto it. I thought it was just sort of a fun, surfacey show. Um, nothing wrong with that at all. This season, I think, is the first, in my mind, that's great television. Um, it 
digs into the characters in a way that I wanted from the very beginning. I don't know why we right. had to wait three seasons to get there. This is, as Fanny mentioned, a large cast of very talented actors that finally given meaty stories that are actually, uh, you know, substantive and uh, reflections of real issues that people at that time were going through soar with this material. It is I think one of the best series, uh, the best seasons of television on this year. I think it's going to easily end up on my top ten list. I am completely surprised to be saying that. Um, Gina Davis shows up. Elizabeth Perkins is back. Um, there's a drag queen character who's played by a guy who's, who I'm forgetting, but he's like a musical theater guy. He actually, his role in it is very integrated into the sort of themes of the yep. season. Um, this is a great, moving, funny, wonderful uh, season of television. What do I you think? think? <laughs> I, I absolutely agree. I think I liked the first couple of seasons probably a little better than you did, but, um, and so I was excited for it to come back, but I wasn't expecting it to be as, uh, deep, as varied, as nuanced as it was, as, um, just, it really did well. It, it is so much not, a show that's set in the eighties for no reason. You know, it's not just like, you know, the eighties, am I right? And look at all this eighties stuff. Instead, it's the reason it's set in the eighties is because that's when glow happened. And somebody who was actually interested in delving into glow and into what that meant and what it was in its time wrote this show instead of somebody that was like, Oh, look, we can put everybody in neons and joke about eighties stuff. And, and that really comes through that the people that write this show really care about the characters, not so much about what it looks like. Um, I think this show is great. I think that the actors, all of them down to the people that come in for a couple of scenes are all great. They, the casting in this show is outrageously good. I know they've been talking um, lately about a casting uh, Emmy thing because they've added one to the British awards. This show oh, would be man. a perfect there candidate for this. It's so everybody is perfect. There isn't a person miscast in this show. Yeah, it's true. There isn't a person that doesn't understand their character. There isn't a person whose character is surface. Not anybody. Not the two people that play like two old biddies who should just be comic relief. It they have layers. And I just I really, really think this show is amazing, and I think that this show goes delves into women and women's relationships and women's friendships like no other show out there. Uh, this show is really about women, and we don't get a lot of that. And it's not about women who are looking for men or who are talking about their boyfriends or are dealing with how they think they look fat. This show doesn't talk about any of that shit. I yeah. mean, there's a little bit of romance and, and, you know, dating, but it does. it's super not interested in that. You know, it's way more interested in how these women interact with each other and how they support each other and how they don't support each other. And I... I really respect that. Yeah. And I'm sure it's hard to write that because it's not what necessarily people are looking for. And it's very, I mean, it's one of the things I was talking to you about while we were watching it was I was annoyed with the fact that both these uh, sort of main characters, somewhat spoilers or whatever, but have relationships with older men or, or it's in these older men. And it just sort of bothered me because that's always a trope in so many things. But as you pointed out, 
A, it's the 80s, and that was sort of the expectation of talented, sort of yeah. smart women and how they could get a foothold with anything is you just find an older guy, guy. Power who had money and could help support you yep. along that journey. But also the fact that especially Betty Gilpin's character is so – you like her and you feel for her, but she's also kind of her own worst enemy, and the show is not afraid of that, but not in a – not ever in a sort of uh, gazy train wrecky way, no. just in a like, and it's not aggressive even. Yeah, it's very honest. Yeah, they, these characters are kind of unlikable sometimes, and also the most likable people ever. Yeah, and I just, I, it's rare to see a show do that uh, this well. Um, and and not, I felt like last season started to get to here, but it would sort of dip back into the kind of camp, like we're making videos and whatever. And who knows, maybe when this is over, I'll rewatch everything and think it's all sort of been building up to this perfect thing but they have laid groundwork um i think without going into spoilers sheila the wolf character um her evolution through the show is brilliant like it's just and i feel like they slow burned bashes i won't go into too many spoilers but bashes story they could have used it for laughs they could have done the the questions about Bash very differently. And instead they handled it in very much the way that might happen. Very naturally, very... And nobody's laughing at him. Nobody's pointing or nobody's being hateful or... And he's his own worst enemy again. He is his own worst enemy. and But at the same time, it's handled with understanding of this man. Just he has no self-awareness. Yep. And... And the reasons, and because of how he was raised, or whatever, the reasons he has no self-awareness, and how that would manifest, and how you would see yourself at different times. And I I really like the way they have handled, you know, he's, nobody's laughing at him, nobody, he's not a hateful guy, he's not a closeted guy, he's really doing the best he can, and I love that, that he is not treated as comic relief, and instead it's really looked at of... How how might this happen, and how how would it affect? What were the ripples of it be? Right, and I think they've done a great job with that. And also, just sort of on that, you know, without <laughs> spoiling 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 things. Yeah, um, there's a lot of sort of gay sort of like LGBT subtext in this season, both you know with side characters and with the main uh, cast right. of women. And I, I really admire a show that can sort of look at the sort of uh, alliances and intersectionality between women and gay men, especially in the eighties and sort of tackle that, but also sort of look at its limits and be very honest about, um, you know, I just, there's something about it that feels very fresh eyed. Absolutely. Without being too spoilers, spoilery, it's interesting to see that Bash is in this world and around all these people that he's obviously quite accepting of and unjudgmental of, but still not being able to see himself. That's, exactly. That is all from seasons before. Yep. This is this is nothing new. Yeah. And I find that very, and they're very honest about that, and that it's not that he's a homophobic person, because he's not. Right. It's just how he sees the world and how he walks in it. And I think that they have done a great job of doing that with everyone. And when they could have taken the easy way out for a laugh or the easy way out for, you know, uh, a lesson, they don't do that. 
Yeah. Instead, it's very much this is the way people live their lives, and yep. I really think that's great. And a shout out to um, Jenny, the sort of like you know Asian wrestler who's got to like jump out of a fortune cookie every night, and uh, oh. one who has to play a terrorist, and like the way that they handle those storylines, and basically like you know when you're in on the joke and you're playing up camp, how far is too far where it just what begins to eat away at you. Um, this is, there's so much in the season and everything is pitch fucking perfect. No, it's great. It's um, really great. It is a great season of television. Glow, we want you back for season four, so everybody yeah. be, please watch it. Netflix, you Santa Clara, Clarita this shit and we're coming for oh, you. I'm not kidding. Next, I just, so no. hard. Um, I think that's it. Um, also, Elizabeth Perkins, uh, your face is a little intense and birdie it's perfect for the character it's perfect for the character but honey i'm a little worried how do you chew and swallow <laughs> it's scary and where are um, your eyes also gina davis oh. uh put gina davis in everything and she doesn't have to be in pacey's doing like her saggy boob but it routine, don't hurt but it's fine hey, they too. were not sagging i'm sorry <laughs> man i hope i look that good when i'm <laughs> um what a good good show and a yeah. good season of it um all right if you have thoughts on Glow, which hopefully you do, let us know. Where can they tell us? You can find us on Facebook. Uh, just search for the Knicks podcast. While you're at it, rate and review us on iTunes or the podcast app of your choice where you're finding us now. You can get us on Gmail, uh, motion to Knicks at gmail.com, uh, Twitter at the Knicks podcast, and I'm at Fanny V. Darling. And I'm at Justin Hartung. We'll see you next week.